Grainmaker Wrestling Podcast, a Prairie Proud Wrestling Podcast covering everything from Winnipeg to worldwide. My name is Blair Pacheco. It is six o'clock in the morning, and as my girlfriend can attest to, I have terrible time management skills. So I am recording this week's episode, even though I had planned this episode for weeks leading up to this, but just kind of stuff gets in the way, and you start binge watching TV shows instead, and run out of time to record this so needless to say it's thursday morning and i'm recording this episode so i will get better at this time thing but it's a work in progress so uh as i've mentioned i i know i talked about it that uh it was going to be two special episodes for this week and next so i figured this week's episode i was going to review one of well, it was my introduction into ECW. ECW, Living Dangerously, 1999. Now, I remember the first time I saw it, I was given a tape of it in high school, and I had never heard of it before. So, well, I'd heard of it, but I'd never seen it. So, I was vaguely familiar with a lot of the wrestlers in it, but had never really seen matches of it, because, I mean, at that time, a lot of the clips online were very grainy or... You needed a real player to watch them, and half the time the links wouldn't even work. So, I mean, you barely got, ever got to see it. So, I was given this VHS tape. It was of Living Dangerously 99. It was recorded off the uh, Cheater Satellite system. Every, you know, lots of people had them. And it was, uh, it was a fun introduction to the, to the brand. And, I mean, I rewatched this pay-per-view over and over. Like, I still have the VHS at home. So that says, that really says something about it. It says that I'm a hoarder, but um, <laughs> it's definitely uh, a one I'm very, I look back at very fondly. So I figured, you know what, I'm going to review that pay-per-view for the episode and uh, just a, a little something fun to do. I know me and uh, two of my closest friends at the time, I mean, I'm still really close with one of them, Doug. I know we rewatched that uh me and him and Davey, we rewatched that pay-per-view over and over. So, I mean, I know uh, we were all huge into ECW. You know, we love that stuff. So it was an introduction for us into the brand. So I figured today we're going to do look back at it, and it should be a fun little look back. So without further ado, an ECW Living Dangerously 1999 review. So the pay-per-view kicks off with uh, a Taz promo, and it's basically just him talking about breaking Sabu's jaw, going off, calling out all the big names in wrestling at the time. It's late 90s, so, you know, the Austins, the Rocks, Flares and Foley's and all that, you know, and just that he's can beat them all, and he's the toughest motherfucker in wrestling. And I mean, it's Taz, so who wouldn't believe him? So that was basically it. Then we cut to uh, Joey Styles' intro in the ring, and he made reference to some sort of controversy in boxing. I'm not sure which one it was at the time. I think later on they said it was Holyfield and Lewis, if that was a thing. But, I mean, my late 90s boxing knowledge is basically Tyson and Hurricane Peter McNeely and Tyson Holyfield, so that really says something. I'm not too sure 
which controversy this referred to. I'm sure my buddy Doug would know, so Doug, let me know. And uh, basically, it's just Styles running down the card and what to expect later tonight. So, the first match of the card is Super Crazy versus Tajiri. Now, this was my first introduction to Super Crazy since the WWF Lightweight Tournament and the horrible, horrible match that he had with Aguila, where you're watching this and being like, who the fuck is this guy? Where did they get him from? So, needless to say, Super Crazy was very much improved in this match. Uh, Tajiri comes out and he's clean cut. Uh, You wouldn't even recognize him compared to what he became later on with the baggy pleather pants and facial hair and coming out with Mikey Whipwreck. Um, Night and day difference. So Um, This was actually a rematch from Guilty as Charge 99, which was a few months earlier. Um, There's... They have a series here where it's just roll-throughs and monkey flips and kip-ups going move for move for each, with each other. Uh, Tajiri hits a huge Hurricane Rana. And then uh, Super Crazy's on the outside. Tajiri does a, a huge somersault plunge to Crazy on the outside. Uh, springboard moonsault, two count. Super Crazy goes up for uh, a moonsault press. Misses that while he's on the news, while he's on his knees. Uh, Tajiri hits a huge kick to the face or a drop kick to the face. Looked great. Uh, su- super crazy. Still getting rid of some of that ring rest from the uh, lightweight tournament two years earlier. Botches a springboard, plant, uh, springboard off the top rope. Crowd gets their first you fucked up chant of the night. I don't think there was many in this card. There was only a couple, if any. Uh, but that was a big one. Um, Tajiri, another Hurricane Rana. Super crazy. Rolls through, though gets the win it was a fun little opener i mean it's a good introduction to both guys and they definitely both improved wrestling wise after this like they definitely developed and became much better wrestlers so it was a good introduction to both of them uh rvd and sabu promo backstage fonzie's just hyping up sabu and taz which is our main event tonight and uh talking how sabu is not 100 percent. that was a big theme throughout the promo for that match so uh and rbd just hypes up himself you know he's the ecw tv champ and one half of the tag team champs he's the whole effing show so uh next out steve carino he's in the ring cutting a promo he wants a match out comes good old balls mahoney so carino is he looks so young here you wouldn't even recognize him compared to the grizzled veteran that he became I guess it's a lot of the uh, bleeding and extreme horseman years that took a lot out of him. Um, But yeah, just complete baby face. This match was basically just balls and his strength and size against Carino using his speed and smart. So it's that classic sort of storyline. Balls goes up to the top rope, goes for a huge frog splash, hits that. Um, This whole thing, like Carino was basically just pushing the anti- hardcore gimmick at the time which is really funny considering what he became in ecw um so it's kind of just nice and contradictory because he was very hardcore afterwards i mean always bleeding you know the extreme horseman all that stuff i know that was more mlw but it's just kind of you know 
it's not that he was a pure hardcore wrestler, but he definitely upped the violence compared to babyface, young, wet behind the ear Steve Carino. Uh, he eats a chair shot, balls gets the win. There was not much to this match. It was, it was all right, but it still left a lot to be desired. We had a video package uh, about the Dudleys and New Jack, their little storyline. Dudleys had run through every tag team in ECW. Someone had uh, paid them off to take out New Jack, and it was finding out who that was. Find out that it was New Jack's old partner from the gangsters, Mustafa, and it just kind of hyped up the, the New Jack-Mustafa match, which was happening later tonight. Next up, we get Little Guido, everybody's favorite FBI member versus Antifaz Del Norte. Uh, Antifaz actually had a little stint on WWF Super Astros, which I came to find out. So I knew very little about Antifaz. Little Guido I'd heard a little bit about, but it's you look at Antifaz and it's he wasn't that uh, well-traveled as some of the uh, Mexican wrestlers. So he did have a little stint on Super Astros and that was uh, about it. I mean, uh, besides wrestling for some of the other Mexican promotions, um, he did hit a huge corkscrew planche onto Guido. Um, little Guido hit a, a side Italian leg sweep off the second rope for a two count. I always loved how FBI, they would, you know, kind of do the uh, move names or, you know, like Tracy Smothers was from wherever his hometown but in Italy you know the uh I always thought that was good and or how Chili or not Chili Willie JT Smith was a a member of the full-blooded Italians he was the greatest member of the FBI um crowd speaking of Tracy Smothers he was insanely over with the crowd and they wanted him even though the storyline at that point was the FBI had split up little Guido is with Sally Graziano and Tracy Smothers and uh, Tommy Rich had split off, so crowd was wanting Tracy Smothers. Antifaz uh, over the top rope, but Sally catches him, puts him right through a table, and just destroys Antifaz. Uh, little Guido ends up locking on the Sicilian Crab, gets the win. Honestly, this match was a bit of a slog to get through. I don't know what it was, because I know Guido, he, he had some good matches with... Uh, other lucha wrestlers or Mexican style wrestlers. So I don't know if it was just the connection with Antifaz or what it was, maybe just an off day, but this match was tough to get through. So post match, Tracy Smothers, Tommy Rich, they come out, uh, attack little Guido and Big Sal. Tommy Rich uses his flag, does a, a flag shot on Sal, Big Sal, and Big Sal just chases him off to the back. So. At this point, rewatching the card, like I could have sworn there was like a Chris Chetty match or a Danny Doring and Roadkill match, but I think some of those ECW pay per views at the time just sort of all blend together. So you're expecting these matches, and then you find out it was like, oh no, that was at Anarchy Rules 2000. And it's like how, like how do a year and a half of matches just all blend together? But I guess that's what happens when you will constantly rewatch the starts of pay-per-views and never finish through, which is what happens sometimes with ECW events. So next up we get 
ECW TV title match, Jerry Lynn versus the champ, Rob Van Dam. So before I get into going over this match, this was one of my favorite matches for years. I mean, it was an in-ring introduction to both these wrestlers, really. And I mean, I re- remembered seeing our, uh, Rob Van Dam on Raw the few times that he had shown up as part of the ECW storyline. So so I was familiar with him, but not much in-ring style. This match was one of my favorite matches for years. I mean, you rewatch it now, and it does, you definitely... Um, what's the word? You kind of romanticize the match a little bit, and rewatching it, it isn't as good as I remembered it. It was still a really fun match, but I remember at the time thinking like, "Oh, this is a five star match." You know, it's one of the greatest matches ever. And you rewatch, it's like, well, you know what? Maybe it wasn't. It was still a really good match, but I'm sure that their second or third matches were just as good, if not better. And I really should rewatch all. I think three of them because there was uh, the following pay-per-view and then they did, I think, 2001 Guilty as Charged as well. I think so. There might have been another one, a TV match in there as well, but I can't remember off the top of my head. So we should just do an episode rewatching the series of Rob Van Dam, Jerry Lynn matches. So the start of this match was just you know a lot of counters a lot of chain wrestling reversals basically going move for move and jerry lynn was right there with him like you he was holding his own he was almost to the point where he's like one step ahead of van damme which was kind of unheard of for anyone being able to keep up with his athleticism and speed and skill in the ring but lynn had no problem with that so jerry lynn he hit a huge clothesline on Van Dam after uh, Van Dam had mocked him. Uh, Fonzie's out at ringside with Van Dam. One of my, a few years ago, I mean, Rob Van Dam was at Comic-Con in Winnipeg. And I remember going up and meeting him. And out of anything I could have talked to him about, I remember there was a ECW pay-per-view. It was probably late 2000s. Oh, it must have been, or 99s, I don't know. It was before they shut down, and Fonzie wasn't there, but Van Damme was. And I remember the crowd chanting, where's Fonzie? And Van Damme looks at the crowd, does his little shrug, does that hand down the middle thing. And out of anything I could talk to Rob about, that's what I bring up. So it's the little things you remember. So uh, Van Damme, he, it's a, he hit a split leg drop down, uh, but Lynn catches him, hits him with a leg drop, which looked really cool. Um Van Dam springboards off the ropes, but Jerry Lynn hitches, hits him with a drop kick. So always staying with him, you know, being one step ahead, kind of almost like knowing what Van Dam's going to move, Van Dam's going to do before he even does it. So, I mean, that goes with the one step ahead. Lots of rambling today. Lots. Um, uh, Fonzie hands Van Dam a chair and uh, Rob starts doing the uh, a surfboard on top of the chair, you know, so he's got Jerry Lynn up for the surfboard. And at one point he kicks him up, rolls out of the way and Lynn slams down onto the chair, which was different. It looked really good. Um, Van Damme, he hits a monkey flip, but 
or sorry, he misses a monkey flip. Lynn powerbombs him off the top rope and the head almost hits the chair. It was a vicious looking powerbomb. And it really says something for how in ECW, some of the simplest moves, they, they looked so vicious. I mean, cause that powerbomb anywhere else, like, you know, it's going to look good, but something about it, I don't know if it was the crowd reaction or what it was, but it looked so much better. It sounded so much better. I don't know. Um, Jerry Lenny had a huge leg drop onto RVD. RVD, uh, pardon me. RVD face plants into the chair. Lynn gets a two count. Uh, at this point, the crowd was actually chanting new effing show at Jerry Lynn for his incredible work in the ring. I mean, like I said, he stayed with him the entire match. So there's a new effing show chant, which went on to stick. They're both battling up on the top rope. RVD has the chair and he hits him with two kind of lighter chair shots, but enough to kind of daze Jerry Lynn. Then RVD kicks the chair into his face. Jerry Lynn falls through the table at ringside. There's a roll through of near falls where they're just going alternating close counts. Uh, Jerry Lynn hit a tornado DDT off the apron onto a table on, on the outside, but the table doesn't break. There was one point where Van Damme hit a huge tumbling senton splash. I always thought the move was called Rolling Thunder, but I think I'm confusing that with the move he did with Sabu, maybe. I don't know if someone wants to correct me on that. Please, please do. Uh, there was another tornado DDT attempt. Uh, RVD tries to counter it into a Northern Lights, but uh, Jerry Lynn fin- ends up finishing off the DDT, which was a nice-looking little series of moves there. Uh, this match actually goes to a time limit draw. And I guess it was only a 20-minute time limit. The crowd wants five more minutes. Jerry Lynn wants five more so RVD obliges him and I think they only go an extra minute and a half, but, uh, or like as soon as the bell rings, there is a huge shotgun drop kick on RVD. Jerry Lynn hits a pile driver, gets a close count. Fonzie, he tosses Lynn a chair and Van Dam hits the Van Daminator out of nowhere, climbs up to the top rope, hits the five star frog splash, which it looked like Jerry Lynn was three quarters of the way across the ring and Van Damme hits it, which was one of the best looking moves in wrestling was his five-star frog splash. This was an, a very fun match. Definitely doesn't hold up upon second watching, but I mean, how much of the late 90s stuff actually actually does. Uh, but it was still a lot of fun just to go back, rewatch and visit. Yeah, Van Damme gets the win. Just a fun little, fun little, you know, fun little match. Uh, a look back at Sabu and Taz build up to their match Sabu getting injured with the broken jaw and just uh, recapping the little storyline so far we get a video package of some pre-match shenanigans between Jasmine St. Clair the adult film actress and Francine and Francine hits her with one of the worst looking stunners of all time but she tried and i mean that really says something so uh it was just a nothing thing ecw you go back and look at it and there was a lot of 
problematic stuff that was kind of glossed over back then and nobody really cared about. Nowadays, you watch it, some of the segments and even the interviews. I mean, the Dudley's interview that comes up later, you're listening to it and you're like, fuck, how did they get away with this? And I'm not condoning what they said, nor what the crowd chants at it, because I I think there's no place for it in wrestling. So I've made that point very clear through my discussions of wrestling on here. But it's uh, it's really says something about what was acceptable back then and okay with and at least we've gone away from what is okay to show and how stuff like that isn't, you know? So, I mean, heavy, heavy on that with the Dudley's promos, especially the one with Sid later on. But, um, yeah, next up, you know, we saw the preview for Mustafa and New Jack. We get that match coming up. Uh, New Jack comes out with his garbage can full of weapons, dishes out a, a golf club shot to the groin of Mustafa. I have to say the absolute worst thing about the WWF network is the dubbed over themes. They are just the absolute shits and just complete garbage. I know on an old laptop at my parents' place, I have all of the ECW pay-per-views on there and I think they're all the original themes and I really wish I would have transferred those over to external hard drive to be able to watch it because man hearing the shitty uh, hip-hop beat that they put for New Jack's theme on here is just garbage and I mean you get the knockoff themes for Spike Dudley and all the other wrestlers and it's just you know not to harp too much about it but like you know, just pay the money to have the rights for those songs, the original songs, because it was good stuff. It said, you know, it tied so much to the characters, to the wrestlers, and you associated it. You know, you associated Walk with Van Damme or Grim Skunk, Grim Spoon, Grim Skunk with Just Incredible, you know, Alice in Chains with Tommy Dreamer. And then you get the knockoff themes, and it's just terrible yeah um so tons of weapons are used throughout this match it's just a glorified hardcore match we all know what new jack matches you know contain you're going to get the guitar shot you're going to get a keyboard or some other kids toys uh golf clubs garbage cans chairs all that they make their way through the crowd and they're wrestling and battling through the crowd uh New Jack duct tapes him to a table. Uh, he climbs up to the balcony, which is, you know, 20 feet up or so, and just frog splashes right through the table. It, it looked like they were both done. They laid on the ground for a couple minutes, and security actually had to drag them back to the ring so they could finish the match. Uh, New Jack ends up pinning him, gets the win, and it was just... Yeah, it was a hardcore match. It was a New Jack match. There was You're not getting a technical masterpiece, but if you want to see just guys get the shit beaten out of, this was for you. 
Post-match, out come the Dudleys, and they just beat down New Jack. New Jack's busted open. He's gushing blood. At that point, um, Joel Gertner decides to cut a promo, and uh, like I said, there's no way that they would have been able to get away with what was said in the promo. So, uh, same with sign guy Dudley signs. There's no... No way that, I mean, some were very insider related, but there, I think no company would allow that shit nowadays. So, um, Bubba promo and he, the guy can get incredible heat for, uh, for himself. And I mean, it was easy back then, I guess, and especially for the kind of promo he cut because all, all he'd have to do is a couple derogatory terms to the crowd and they wanted to kill him. And I mean, this was no different. It was more tame than some of them, but still just absolutely goes off. Um, basically, just an open challenge. They've beaten all the teams already, but, you know, someone's got to be back there to face them. And then, hey, it's Spike Dudley and Nova. Um, for the record, late 90s early 2000s i fucking thought nova was the greatest thing because he was so innovative uh he's busting out all these cool moves that you were going to see a month later on raw or nitro so i mean doing like the kryptonite crunch or stuff like that plus he came out to beastie boys intergalactic which was really really cool and he was really the innovator for the uh comic book crossover gear that Johnny Gargano really made famous, but uh, Nova did it first, I guess. Um, so yeah, very innovative. So, uh, Bubba just absolutely waffled Spike with a shot to the head with, I guess it was a street sign or like a uh, baking pan. The sound it made was just sickening. He uh, he gorilla presses Spike into the crowd and. Spike ends up going crowd surfing. He Spike almost didn't clear the railing into the crowd, but uh, the crowd gets him up there, and then you just see him off into the crowd. Just little Spike Dudley going. Um, they end up hitting the 3D on Nova, beat him down. All the officials run out. They're checking on him, uh, checking on Nova. Um, ring announcer Bob Ortiz is there checking on him too. The Dudleys see that and give him a 3D for his troubles. One thing, I mean, we all like to purchase wrestling t-shirts. And I'm not huge on tons of the ones from the late 90s, but I would love to have the old 90s tie-dye Dudley Boy shirt. I mean, I'll buy a knockoff one off Teespring or whatever. Just someone make those and I will buy one. Um... So, yeah, basically, they've beat down Nova. That's it. They're they're not done yet. And then, hey, it's Judge Jeff Jones. And he's followed by Sid. So, I mean, as a wrestling fan back then, all I'm doing is reading results for ECW. And I had no idea that Sid was there at the time. So, for me to see this, it was a huge shock. So, Sid comes out. And... You see Sid in ECW, and he's a larger-than-life wrestler. I mean, who is on WWF, WCW, and that's what you're familiar with him from. And he 
seemed like a big fish in a small pond almost. But that was one thing. It was always a surprise when you'd get the guy like that in ECW, almost on like the redemption. Not, I guess it shouldn't be a redemption tour, but couldn't go anywhere else. So he goes to ECW, but he's still insanely over. Like even when Scott Hall showed up there for two shows or three shows, a little bit different with Scott Hall since he still had the substance problems, but still showed up in ECW. Um, they beat down Sid. Sid was extremely over, though, leading up to this. But he hits a double choke, choke slam on both Dudleys. Powerbombed Devon. He's brawling with Devon on the outside. And I guess there was... I was reading the Observer recap of this, and I guess there was a few, like botches on Sid's part of what he was supposed to do because he was supposed to take care of Devon outside the ring and not hang around for the finish uh, but Spike makes his way back and he's battling with Bubba in the ring he hits the acid drop on Bubba gets the three count Sid and Spike Dudley are the winners even though it was, Sid was never part of the match Um he starts celebrating with Sid doing his waving thing while Sid's posing. And then power Sid just decides to powerbomb him for his troubles. And then he decides to give him a second powerbomb for his troubles. And little Spike Dudley is murdered in the ring because that's what they did to little Spike Dudley. Next up, we get a recap about Shane Douglas and his... Storyline retirement, hyping up the new franchise, just incredible thinks that it should be him, Lance Storm thinks that it should be him, Shane Douglas thinks it should be neither of them, that it should be Tommy Dreamer. So it's just the basic build to their tag match at the pay-per-view. Um, so yeah, just incredible and Lance Storm, I think it was their first time teaming together, facing off against, well first time teaming together if it was that leading into them becoming the impact players uh they're facing off against shane douglas and tommy dreamer justin credible comes out he's rocking the yellow franchise t-shirt one thing i'll always remember for about uh justin credible was in the late 90s early 2000s in winnipeg there was a wrestling radio show some people might not be familiar with it it was hosted by joe aiello and don Callis. and aiello was synonymous with wrestling in winnipeg he had done some work with wwf and i know he was also heavily involved you know with other wrestling aspects so they had a wrestling radio show it was on 92 city fm it was called no holds barred radio I remembered or No Holds Barred wrestling show, something about something along those lines. I mean, it was Sunday nights at 6 p.m. I remember listening to it, recording them on a cassette tape because I'm a huge nerd. So they came out with t-shirts and I always remember Just Incredible. He rocked one of those t-shirts on for some of his matches. It just had NHB in like the NWO style font in a box, I think. It was along those lines. So that's one thing I always remember about Just Incredible was his t-shirt choices going to the ring. Um, you look at the four of these guys and Landstorm easily sticks out as the best 
in-ring wrestler there. And I mean, he's almost unheralded with, or I don't know if that's the best choice of words, but underappreciated for his in-ring talents and just how great he is. I mean, we, I don't think it's ever really acknowledged that with how talented he is. I mean, he's got his, he had his training school and the amount of wrestlers that came out of there. I mean, I had Sean Moore on the show last week and he had trained under Landstorm and he's an incredible in-ring wrestler, you know, obviously it takes some from the wrestlers, but I think it's a testament to Lance with how good he is in the ring and what he passes on to people he trains. So Lance was easily the most talented, talented of the four in the ring. One thing I do want to say is Paul Heyman definitely had a talent for pushing wrestlers strengths. You know, you see someone like Justin credible, he was able to pull out his strengths and make him into what he was, you know, be able to push him as something more than what, you know, like he could do in WWF. Uh, being able to uh, make a name for himself with, you know, whether it's because that style of wrestling, whether, whether it's the promo, finding the strengths, being able to push them and really maximizing their talents. And I think Justin Credible is a perfect example because, you know, he, he came up from not being much, even an ECW mid-card level guy and being able to feud for the world title obviously some of it is you know with guys leaving and that but he was able to get his chance get his opportunity and was raised to that level so uh this match was basic this match was a, a rough go great getting through it the crowd wasn't overly hot for it and it was just sort of there i mean it was notable that you know this was the start of the impact players they were a fantastic ecw tag team you know they meshed very well together so, um, Francine's at ringside, Beulah's at ringside, uh, Jason, Jazz, they're all there. Francine actually drags a ladder from the back. Um, there's a huge teeter-totter spot, which looked really cool, and that sort of got the crowd back into it, because they, there wasn't much heat for the match. Uh, Justin Credible pulls out a, a Singapore cane. He goes to hit Shane Douglas with it. Francine kind of stops him. Uh, Douglas, I think he hits a low blow, follows it up with a fisherman buster, gets the pin. Tommy Dreamer and Shane Douglas are your winners. Post-match, just incredible. Just destroys uh, Dreamer and Douglas with cane shots. Out comes Don Callis, who I think this was his first appearance in ECW. I'm not 100% on that, and I couldn't find out the answers. Um online but i swear this was his first on screen appearance with ecw and he's he was going by cyrus and i mean watching this at the time in 99 you see him out there and like you're familiar with him from wrestling in winnipeg uh being you know the star of wrestling in winnipeg at the in the early 90s you know knowing him from being on wwf tv as the jackal and leading the oddities and all that. And then you see him on ECW and it's like, holy shit, uh, you know, the history with him and the connection to Winnipeg. 
So he's going by Cyrus and, you know, he's trying to feign stopping them from beating down the guys and Francine anymore and then covers up Francine because they were going to beat her up and then delivers a headbutt to her groin and get just gets the heat. I mean, it was ECW. Yeah. So, yeah, Cyrus is now fully into ECW. He's there. He does way more with them later on if you're not familiar with them. There was a promo. I don't know if it was before this match or after. I, did, I forgot to mark it down, but I do remember. It was with um, backstage with John Finnegan, the referee of the RVD Jerry Lynn match. And he was basically saying that he was going to award Jerry Lynn the title uh, when, after it had went to a draw. He thought that Jerry Lynn was the winner. This He referenced, you know, the Holyfield-Lewis fight. So that's why I think that's what Joey Styles was talking about earlier. Reference that. And I guess there was controversy in that fight. So he said, no, we didn't want any controversy. But he was willing to make that decision, award the title. RVD shows up um, and basically challenges Jerry Lynn to the a rematch at Hardcore Heaven. I think it was Hardcore Heaven. The, well, the next pay-per-view, yeah, Hard, Hardcore Heaven. And then it was Heat Wave after that. Uh, challenges them to a rematch, and we're going to get RVD Jerry Lynn round two. So RVD is always entertaining on the promos. He was good for that. So we get the ECW FTW title match. Sabu's your FTW champion. Taz is your ECW champion. Um, Taz, he was something else. I mean, we talk about Paul Heyman being able to maximize people's strengths. He took Taz and made Taz into just an absolute machine. And no pun intended since he's the human suplex machine. But he was just this jacked up little tank of a man who would destroy people just kill them with suplexes and you bought that he was a badass a tough guy that he could kick anyone's ass and I mean you look at him and yeah I I thought Taz would just destroy people so he Paul definitely had an eye for eye for that so uh, as I mentioned before, they played up the storyline that Cebu was not 100% going into this match, uh, saying he was only 70%, and it did come into play throughout the match, especially with some of the some of the bumps that he took and some of the spots. So uh, they they're battling through the ring, or before they even get started, Taz says that he wants it to be a no holds barred extreme death match. It wasn't much of a death match, but it was definitely uh, a no disqualification extreme match, you know, definitely ECW style. So Sabu, they're battling through the crowd. Sabu goes for a a dive into the crowd and Taz catches him just by chucking a chair at his head, which will never not be a funny spot to me. Um... They're going through the crowd. They make their way back into the ring. It always blows my mind. Like, 
just seeing the crowd at like the ECW shows, you like looking back at it. I had just watched the Woodstock 99 uh, documentary and it's just like the similarities between like the, like the crowds. It's just like, yeah, it really says something. So just the kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, we'll just go with the similarities there, you know, the drunk, obnoxious, uh, frat boy-esque type things. So uh, Taz hits a overhead belly-to-belly suplex on him from the ring, throws him over the ropes. He goes through a table on the outside. Sabu is busted open, just blood gushing out of his mouth. Uh, So, I mean, I'm not sure how legit the broken jaw stuff was, but... I mean, he was bleeding pretty heavy. Uh, Sabu hits a, a triple jump moonsault, follows that up with a, a triple jump leg drop. And I always like the uh, triple jump stuff, I think, because the amount of concentration and skill that it takes, it always looked incredibly cool too. So, um, Taz hits a, a dragon Tazplex on him through a table, if I'm not mistaken, which was... Uh, I mean, the exact same as a dragon suplex, but it just sounds way more badass with Tazplex. So that, the Taz mission, like the T-bone Tazplex, all that stuff, I like when they make it, you know, um, what's the word? When they uh, associate the moves with the wrestlers and make it their own. So like, you know, a dragon Tazplex, it's like, well, it's the exact same, but it's Taz. It's like, well, yeah, that's cooler. So yeah, he's a dragon Tazplex. Um, <laughs> in my notes, I have Taz, Taz mission, just the move. So um, Fonzie, he was at ringside. He had been trying to throw him the towel for a little bit to stop the match and get Sabu out of there. He kind of botches the spot and had thrown the towel in already before Taz locked in the Taz mission. So Sabu, the the towel's in the referee doesn't stop it. Sabu grabs the towel and chucks it back out. So Fonzie kind of botches that spot. But the ref goes to raise the arm. Sabu, you know, gets keeps it up at three. Taz keeps it locked in. They try again. Sabu passes out. Taz wins. He's the ECW champ. He's the FTW champ. It was a, a fun match. It definitely picked up towards the uh, the last half, but it was still entertaining. I mean, the uh, Taz was something else for the time. And, I mean, I had mentioned the radio show, the Winnipeg radio show earlier, and I remember when Taz had signed with WWF. He was going to be leaving ECW. I remember calling in and asking... The question was like, who in WWF is going to take a Tazplex, you know? Like, he can only wrestle Al Snow so many times. And it's kind of, you see it now too, like, how guys will sign in New York. And they have all these incredible moves that they're able to do on the indies or at shows. And then they sign there and it's... They kind of stripped that away from them. And Taz was definitely one of those guys. I mean, he wasn't able to do the same moves. Um, It's Keith Lee's a perfect example where you watch him in a PWG show or what he was doing on, you know, those indie shows. And 
he moves so good for a big man. You know, some of the moves he does are absolutely incredible and they're highlight real-esque and then goes there and they take that all away and you might get like one spot, you know, if that. I know it's part of storytelling and maybe it doesn't flow well, but I know for myself, I like to see that kind of stuff. I like to see the big moves. I like to see, especially when it's a feat of athleticism, like what someone like Lee can do. But, you know, when Taz signed there, they just stripped that all away. He was still had, you know, his Taz mission and a couple suplexes, but didn't, didn't have the same sort of feel or you didn't believe it as much. So it's kind of disappointing in that aspect because they create this character and they have this aura about them and then it yeah, just gets taken away. So, but yeah, you get two references to a Winnipeg wrestling radio show in this episode. That's, you know, what more could you ask for? If anyone has those old episodes out there, I mean, send them my way because I'd love to re-listen to me calling in and asking stupid questions, but, um, or if they have a t-shirt, get me an NHB no holds barred wrestling t-shirt. That's all I want. Add that to my wrestling t-shirt collection. So that was the recap of ECW living dangerously 99. Just a little something fun to, uh, throw onto the timeline for, uh, for shows while, uh, while I'm gone. Uh, when I get back, it'll be back to the Back to the regular stuff, the local news, followed up with some uh, other mainstream stuff. And hopefully by that point, we have a Winnipeg show to announce, which I'm fingers crossed for. I'm really hoping that comes comes soon. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for checking out the show. I truly appreciate it. I know this one was a little long-winded and action-packed, condensed for... Uh, an episode. I think we're going to clock in just over 45 minutes and I rambled away for most of it. So it was still a very fun episode and it was nice to go back and rewatch something that I had a huge connection to growing up and really introduced me to a different style of wrestling and different, you know, different, uh, different type or what's the word, you know, you know, a different option we'll say, you know, a new chapter, all that kind of stuff. A chapter doesn't work. I don't know what I'm trying to say. You know what I mean. So thank you for checking out the episode. You can find me on Twitter at GrainmakerPod. Shoot me a follow on there. You know, what was your first ECW show you checked out? You know, what introduced you to that? Because I think everyone has a connection to it at for some point, especially some of the older generation. So what was it that first introduced you to it? Um, so find me out on Twitter at GrainmakerPod. Hit me up on email, GrainmakerPodcast at gmail.com. Up on Apple Podcasts. If you could rate, review, all that fun kind of stuff, that would be great. Uh, up on Spotify Podcasts as well. And if there's another podcast option that I'm not on, but you would like me on, let me know and I will do my best to get on there. So, like I said, this week's episode, next week's episode is this another special one. Um, after that, we're back to the back to the regular stuff. Going to be trying to pump out more interviews, get some more guests on the show because uh, I always like hearing more and or hearing about uh, wrestlers and 
especially local ones, you know, making a name for themselves and uh, shining the spotlight on them, giving them a chance to tell their stories. So if there's someone you want to see when uh, we're back to the regular shows, let me know and I'll do my best to get them on there. So thank you so much for checking out the podcast. I truly appreciate it. Like always, hope you guys have a good one. Thanks.